Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, hostess with the mostest, matcha snob, and unapologetically bad at small talk. Seriously, tell me about your childhood. And I'm Joan Carnachon, queen of messy conversations, skincare junkie, and highly allergic to bullshit. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where together we will navigate the vital conversations that lift shame and shift paradigms. Our deepest desire is to normalize rewriting the narratives women have been taught about pleasure, money, power, sexual expression, and self-sovereignty. So join us each week for unfiltered, raw dialogue that educates, empowers, and hopefully entertains, or at the very least, makes the hard topics feel a little safer. And oh, by the way, when we say women, we are speaking to humans who identify with the divine feminine nature, non-binary royalty, our sacred sluts, the matriarch in the rising, and those of us who are still trying to figure their shit out. You guys know I love a good disclaimer, so here goes. We are not to be mistaken for doctors, lawyers, clinically trained psychologists, therapists, or your mother. But we are someone's mom. If you True. think this state is going well, subscribe to our show. And community means everything to us, so make sure to tell a friend or like all of your friends. This whole intro thing is like, it's always so weird. Hi, friends. We are back. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are back. We are full of energy. We are coming back from a really long hiatus and a beautiful sabbatical where we just, Chris and I really just needed a reset on everything that was going on and really to just take stock and pause so that we could move through the transition that we're currently both transitioning into in our lives and find ourselves landing a little bit softly versus like this abrupt, holy shit, here we are falling flat ass onto the ground with just all the changes that were happening. I mean, you had a move. Yeah, you had a move. I had a move. I hired somebody, you fired somebody, your (laughs) ex-husband and uh, (laughs) I mean, clearly there's people growing their teams on one side and there's other people who are literally letting people go (laughs) with so much compassion, (laughs) with so much compassion, so much love and trying to do it with as little damage as possible. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, there's always going to be broken hearts. It wasn't a, uh, it's not a super popular decision actually to pause producing brand new content on your podcast, on your top rated podcast, right? When you, that's right. I said top rated, right? When you are getting all kinds of downloads and honorable mentions on Chartable and we're like, you know what? That's great. But we are tapped out and in order for us to support and serve and bring really meaningful conversations and just content to this platform for all of you. Like we first have to be in alignment. We have to be resourced. And you know that Joe and I take that shit seriously. Like we are practicing what we preach and we were just doing what we would tell any of you guys to do if you were drowning and needed to just like hit pause and take a break for a second. But we always intended on coming back and here our asses are. It's always hard too because, you know, we live in a world where taking breaks is not something that is honored. It's not something that is ever seen as 
the most productive thing to do. I mean, I think in the wellness space, we're finally having those conversations where rest is actually more productive than anything else. But, you know, for women, especially women who are trying to build their lives and empires on their terms and embrace their sovereignty, like the women in this podcast, it's really difficult to even do that. There's a lot of trauma conditioning thoughts, having to unlayer that so that we can actually lean into that rest. Oh yeah. And it's all total, total scarcity mindset. And it's, it's, it's none of our faults. Like if you're listening to this and you're saying to yourself, well, I have a really hard time slowing down. And especially, especially when you're at the top of your game, air quotes, major air quotes, because we have experienced so much trauma in the work field in that linear patriarchal work competitive work field where, you know, women would go on maternity leave at the top of their game, quote marks, air quotes, and would never make their way back because they realized that the soul crushing amount of hours they were spending versus the quality of life that they were earning wasn't adding up and that you literally, it's not humanly possible to, to, with a baby, like to do that with a baby, to maintain any type of integrity in your intimate relationships and to be able to show up for yourself and your child and your family and the business. Like it's, it's often too much. And if that didn't happen, then women would find themselves being pushed out, forced out because they left and it'd be like, Oh, well you shouldn't have left. And it's like, Oh, you shouldn't be a fucking terrorist. Like I had a child, which is my choice and my right. And women shouldn't be penalized for having babies and careers, but that is not what we're here to talk about, even though that's true. But it's even the same thing with like going through a divorce because the number of people who are like, you're going to get back into it. You're going to get back into it. Things are going to go well, or don't you want to come back to work and do the things? Because like, I would hate for you to lose the things that you just built. I mean, my entire, you know, my entire career and my entire online presence is go fit Joe. I mean, go is in the freaking name of my handle and my brand. And so many people looked at me when I decided to take this sabbatical and they were like, are you sure you really want to do that? And I'm like, my heart, my family, my body, myself needs this. I cannot show up unless I do this. And one of the things that I really learned during this period was the incredible amount of support that I was getting from friendships, just like our friendship. And, you know, you said something really beautiful to me when I remember I was packing up, I was packing up my house, my old house. And you said to me, cause I was like crying on Instagram story. And I'm like, I have so many feels right now. I'm packing up literally the house of my childhood dreams, this beautiful Eichler. I so saw myself living in and starting my family in and all these other things. And there's so many dreams that I had to say goodbye to yet also so many celebrations in that house of what built us as the family that we are today. And you were like, oh my God, I just want to come and scoop you up while you're crying and not in a rescue type of way, but in a fishbowl kind of way. (laughs) And it was in the beginning of that process for me, like right in the beginning of my decision to like leave the house and to separate physically. And I remember that statement so well, because I remember thinking to myself, that is the only kind of friendship I want Mm -hmm. from here on out. That was such a beautiful way to describe it because I know I'm a strong woman. I know that I'm working towards my full sovereignty in this lifetime right here, right now. And I don't need rescuing, 
but I do need friendships and relationships to hold me while I'm literally the goldfish in the fishbowl swimming around going, where the fuck am I going? And letting me know, yo, you're in a fishbowl and you're safe. Yeah, I got you. Fishbowl for your tears. Everybody deserves a fishbowl for their tears. (laughs) It is only supportive. It is not codependent. It is very much meant to just offer grounding and nourishment and more resource. It's not, it's not something that takes energy from me to give to you. And it's not something that, you know, you have, like, you don't have to have it. It's just something that gives you courage when you know you have it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that because it was just so healing. And I think you and I have been each other's fishbowl friends throughout this <laughs> little yeah. transition of ours, trying to get us to the next stage as safely and in as many pieces as, as, as many Few pieces, in few pieces. As, intact <laughs> yeah, as, as intact as possible. <laughs> and that is what we are here to talk to you guys about today. We are going to share our personal tips on how to be a good fishbowl friend, AKA mm-hmm. how to actually hold space for somebody. Because I think yeah. There is a lot of, to say you're holding space for someone is pretty common, especially if you're woke at all, you know, like we all, oh, I just, let me hold space for you. Or I'm so honored to hold space for you. Or like, do you need me to hold space for you? And I feel like everyone who offers that genuinely is, is well-intentioned, but I think that there is a lot of, it's really easy to center when you're holding space for someone because so many of us are still really uncomfortable with uncomfortable emotions. And so we do emotional busy work to keep Mm. from being awkward or to keep from really feeling the weight of what the other person is feeling because you can't actually, you're not actually doing anything for them other than witnessing them and being with them. And so we have this, societally, like it's cultural, this need to, to rush and try and fix. Oh, somebody is hurting. We need to go and try and fix. And when someone's heart is broken, you can't do anything for them. Mm -hmm. You can bake a casserole, but that doesn't do anything for someone who's (laughs) lost the love of their life. Like that casserole does nothing, but make you feel like you're doing something. Most yeah. like I hate casserole. If my husband died, someone brought me a casserole. I'll be like, this is clearly about you and not about me, but we mean, well, we just don't know what to do. And so if the question is, what do you do? We're just going to share our personal experience of both receiving and, uh, being the fishbowl. Yeah. I mean, I think the other part is it's like, you know, it's, it's really confusing, right? What people go, well, can I hold space for you? And it's like, what does that really fucking mean, right? To actually hold space. And (laughs) what are you asking for? And when I think about holding space, it really means to be physically, mentally, and emotionally present for somebody and almost like a container, literally a fishbowl. You are fully transparent in that moment. You're, You're coming there without any judgment, without any color, without any any kind of uh, story that you're telling yourself about the situation, you're literally a clear, transparent fishbowl. You're the container. And I think one of the things that's really, really important about that is to 
do as much as you possibly can to manage your own judgment and your own storytelling while holding space for the other person who's taking up stage. And that's, I think, the other most important part is that it's about the other person taking stage, not about you offering advice. Like Kristen said, not about like you trying to go fix it because you can't fix a broken heart. You can really just hold that container there. And I think one of the biggest parts about, you know, holding space is making sure that if you are the space holder, being freaking resourced to Mm -hmm. even hold that space in the first place. And I know for me, there have been times between you and I, where I literally send you texts, Hey, do you have capacity for this? Yes. Yeah. And I have responded to that text and I I'm so glad you brought that up because that's the, the flip side of, you know, not bringing anything into the space sometimes like with people, Joe and I are really close. And so we have a very co-creative give and take relationship. And there are times when we call on each other for energy, for input, for advice, for support. And sometimes one of us doesn't actually have the energy to do that. And so I have definitely had times where, especially, you know, and, and it's seasonal in relationships, right? Like maybe lately it's been there's in the beginning of our relationship, you had just started a divorce process. So like there was a lot of time when you needed containers and you had a lot of different beautiful sources for that, which was gorgeous. But there would be times where I like have a new baby and all these things happening. And you'd be like, do you have the capacity for X, Y, and Z? And I would say, I can hold space for you for 15 minutes, but I have like nothing additional to give. Meaning if you are looking for any type of validation, advice, like energetic output, I do not have that, but I will always hold space for you and anything you want to put there, but I'm not adding energetically like to the space at all. I'm just like holding this, I'm holding the container. I'm holding my arms out for you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, consent is always really important. I was trying to do that subtly. <laughs> it got me. Got me. Yeah. And I think, you know, asking for consent is really, really important because you don't know what you're coming into in that conversation. And as the person holding space, no matter how much you love that person, you're also an energetic being. If you have nothing to give, you have nothing to give. And holding that space for that somebody will just be basically a fragile container for them. And both of you guys are going to collapse in that moment. If you're yeah. not resourced enough. Yes. And I, it's one of the things I value the most about our relationship because I certain, I definitely have friends who that's just, it's not in their vocabulary. It's not in their training. It's not, you know, they, they don't know to ask if someone has capacity before they enter. And there are days when I feel like I'm drowning and I get like a mega text that's going to require mega energy on my part. And I just don't have it. And so, and that feels horrible because you then need to insert a boundary. But since they didn't ask you first, like it feels really harsh. You're like, oh, I, sh- I feel like I should respond to this with what they're wanting from me. But what I have to do instead of set a boundary, because I can't actually be of service to them, not without resentment, not without, you know, it, it won't actually help them. And so I think what's so awesome about what we have is just that we can both say that <laughs> we can mm-hmm. both say that to each other. And it is not something that we are taking offense from. No one is being ugly when they do that. It's just being realistic and being 
it's radical transparency. It's radical honesty, which allows us both to show up the best for each other. And I love, I love our timed shit. I'll be like, I, do you have 10 minutes? I need to fucking rant for 10 minutes. And be like, yeah, bitch go. And we literally watch the clock and I'll be like, all right, coming up on minute nine, I'm going to go ahead and wind this up. Like it's so you like get it out of your system and then you go on with your day. Like it's very efficient. Yeah. It's actually, I, you know, I really like love those moments where like, you got 10 minutes. Okay. 10 minutes. And we're literally on the phone going be like, like nine. Cause I have to pee before my next appointment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you could do it at eight and a half, that'd be great. Go hit it. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, it builds a really good foundation of trust and security in a in any relationship, not just like friendships, but any relationship, just because it's like, I am respecting your time. We are going to respect our relationship container and we're going to try to make this happen as much as possible so that we know that we're not being responsible for each other's shit. Cause that's the other part. Like I think so oftentimes because we are human beings and we want to be nurturers and we want to be able to help people, we naturally want to help people. We also jump into problem solving mode immediately. And sometimes the problem with that is that we don't ever get the chance for the person to actually be in their lived situation. Here we are already providing some sort of insight, some sort of problem solving tip or whatever. And I don't know, for me, I'm always like, what I think I love about our relationship too, is like, you actually ask me what kind of, what, what do you want offered in this moment? Do you want to hear from my perspective or like, do you want me to just reflect back on what I'm hearing for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, And like, it's such a beautiful practice. The space help. How do you want, yeah. do you want me to mirror? Do you want me to give advice? Do you want me, you know, do you want fixing? Do you want support? Do you want fire? Do you want, do you want my, <laughs> untapped rage at this person on your behalf, because I have that. Do you need me to be objective? Do you need me to throw F-bombs? Do you need me to slash their tires? I can send a guy like, what, what do we need in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's like just really important because sometimes, you know, especially for, especially for women, right? We, we have been taught to suppress our feelings. We've been taught to not talk about them. And we've been taught to hide the ugly, just, just ugly, gross, heavy feeling feelings away because they're not safe to have. And so the feelings of shame, guilt, anger, disappointment, frustration, rage, those are often the ones that most women suppress because it's not safe for them to be living in the body. We don't know how to actually safely express them. And I love sometimes when in our relationship and in a lot of my other girlfriend relationships, we have this language where we're just like, can we just bitch for a moment? Can we rage for a moment? And even that is like something that is really needed and and safe for us Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Rage is a super important part of, (laughs) of moving things through, of integrating and allowing things to take up space without judgment. I think it is super powerful to allow yourself to experience anger. And for me, underneath of anger is typically grief or sadness Mm. or fear. And so often I have to get the anger out before I can access any of those softer things. It's almost my way. It's like I puff up my chest and blow fire out Mm. so that I can create a parameter of safety around me. And then whoever's left standing is like tapped in and I sink down into the more sad stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this, this moment about just, 
you know, the, the rage. And I love how we both can come into our relationship with that. I actually got to witness this as a mom for my daughter. And my oldest is 17 years old. And, you know, obviously she's kind of growing up with still some of the conditioning of not being able to express her feelings and not knowing whether or not her feelings are safe to actually be validated by anyone around her. I mean, she's a teenager and teenagers, let's be real. They're, they're little shits to each other. They're, they're well, mean. Hormonal time bombs. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they're, always, like, talking, control they're always like talking shit to each other. Maybe they love each other one week. Like who fucking knows? And so, you know, the other day I just told her, like, I could see her building up in this anger and I can see her body just like tensing up. And I was like, baby, if you're angry, just just, just be angry. It's cool. As long as that anger doesn't come at me, we're good, but like be angry. And it was the cutest thing to actually see her pacing in the living room. Cause here's this like 17 year old. She's like, I just, and then this, and then that. And then, and then you know what else is really stupid? Like white supremacy is really stupid. I'm like, Oh, white here we are is going the on. Stupidest. A <laughs> yeah. Can we just say that? <laughs> Iris, agreed. I hear you 100%. White supremacy, the stupidest, the dumbest. Oh my gosh. Oh, Someone it was, fucking it was, do something about that. I mean, it was so beautiful because I think even, you know, for teenagers, they're not taught really healthy ways to express their anger. And then even for like parents, right? Like sometimes your children just need to know that that anger is actually safe to be expressed in front of you. And that you're not going to judge them. You're not going to be pissed at them. If they need to start like cursing or whatever, whatever age appropriate is in your house. Like even my daughter the other day was like, mom, are you okay if I swear? I'm like, as long as it's not at me, go for it. Like as long as it's not at me, you're more than welcome to. And she just went at it. And I just, I looked at her and I was like, this is really beautiful. This is really healthy. This is really healthy that you feel safe enough to be able to do this in front of your mom. And then know that like, you can actually just go to sleep tonight in whatever feeling that you're resting into your body. And you're really beautiful and you get mom points for being a really good mom (laughs) and letting her have that. That's, that is super healthy and super magical. And even though my daughter is only 15 months old, like our, our rule, the only boundary on her emoting is that she can't destroy anyone else's property and she can't hurt anyone. (laughs) It's like, yeah. you can't physically hurt another person or the dog and you can't destroy anyone's shit, but <laughs> you may sit or lie on the floor and kick your feet and bang your fists on the ground and cry. Like the world is ending because you do not want to leave the park. <laughs> that is okay. And you know, typically it passes very quickly. If you just don't interrupt it, just yeah. don't interrupt it. It's like, let it literally let it purge, let it run through. Like it has to run through it only like I have watched. And it's so funny because I've watched other parents try to interrupt the kid, you know, cause they're throwing mm. a quote unquote tantrum and they'll try to interrupt them. And I can tell when a parent is speaking to their child out of like, for my benefit and actually not the child's benefit. It's because like, if I wasn't there, they might actually be handling it differently. But I think we feel pressure to control our child when we're out in public, when other people are watching, because we're afraid of judgment. Mm. And so 
I think, you know, with James, I mean, yeah, it's sometimes awkward. Sometimes like I have to resist that urge where I'm like, oh yeah, this feels a little embarrassing. Like to be standing here, just waiting for her to finish kicking the ground. Like they're probably thinking that I am a bad mom and can't control my child, but like, it's not about controlling my child. Like, yes, I could physically restrain her. I could physically pick her up and move her from that space. But what am I teaching her? I'm teaching her that Mm her anger is invalid to my, like her feelings are invalid based on what I want and what I think should be happening. And I have the power because I'm bigger and stronger than her. And like, is that the message I want to send my daughter? Absolutely not. (laughs) Of course not. No. So we, we let that shit out. It's not like, it isn't hurting anyone. And it's actually, it's so at that age, it's so healthy for them to be able again, to, to feel safe enough to express bitter disappointment, you know, and sadness and all of the things. And literally it's, it's five minutes. Like she falls on the ground and it's like, "Ah, ah, ah." and then literally (laughs) as if nothing happens, she'll pop up and be like, Baba. I'm like, yeah, when we get home, you can have a Baba. And she's like, all right. And she gets in her thing and I snap around and off we go. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's like adults anyways, too, right? right? Like we just need to be validated that something about our world in that present moment is really fucking shitty. Like it's the worst thing that we've ever been through. We're going to die tomorrow if this doesn't get resolved. And then two minutes later, you're usually like, all right, I'm cool. We're done. Like now that I have melted down and explained why this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to anyone, anywhere, ever, I feel like things aren't that bad. Yeah. I mean, that's the other part too. It's like validating somebody else's experience. I think that's, that's the thing about holding space or even being a fishbowl of a friend that I know for myself growing up, I rarely got. And so as a grown ass woman now in her mid to late, like thirties, now having to understand what kind of friendships I want from here on out. It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't want somebody to say that what I'm going through isn't valid. I don't want somebody to say, hey, you know, your deep sadness about this thing, you shouldn't be feeling that sad about it. Everybody else is also going through a divorce. Like the world is also getting divorced. It's like, I get that, that there's other people going through this, but right now in my world, I'm going through this. And having to validate somebody in that experience is so important because for a long time, for, for some people, they have maybe never been validated in any of their experiences, in any of their trauma. And here's the first time as a friend, they're being super vulnerable to say, fuck, something is really painful right now. It's hurting. And here's where I'm at. Just someone tell me that this pain that I'm feeling is actually okay to feel. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think of like quick, uh, pop quiz things you shouldn't say during when holding space or being a fishbowl item one, you're okay. Don't ever tell anyone they're okay. Like you don't know if they're okay. And in that moment, they clearly don't feel like they're okay. So unless Mm -hmm. they're standing on top of a bridge and you think they are legitimately going to jump off, like even then, I don't think you should say you're okay. There's other stuff you could say, but like at that moment, you know, they're actually not okay. But so it's like, just don't, that's, that is a very subtle, we've talked about this before. That's a subtle form of gaslighting, telling someone that they don't feel what they're feeling. Like that is, that is a huge, huge no-go. The other thing is, um, centering yourself. And Mm. I I really wanted to touch on this one because again, like best intentions, I think when we hear someone suffering, we want to let them know that they're not alone. And so for a lot of us, our go-to is to 
interrupt or add on top of what they're saying with a time when we experience something similar and suddenly the story becomes about us and our pain and how we survived and it's meant to make them feel like if I survived you'll survive too which is not helpful like in the moment uh Mm -hmm. you know and that's depending on your relationship it's not that you can never share experiences and sometimes it's helpful to like hold on to that and after the initial like you will start to notice there's two phases of holding space the initial space holding is just allowing, allowing them everything is okay. If they say they want to run over someone with a car, that they're not going to do it. Like that is okay. It's literally validating the level of rage, the harm that they have experienced, the hurt, the pain, the grief, the sadness, the depression, the anxiety, whatever is going on. It's like, yes, you're feeling that. That's real. Mm-hmm. I love you. I don't love you less because that's real for you. That's stage one. Stage two is typically when they look to you and they're like, I just don't want to feel like I'm crazy or like I'm broken or like whatever. And you're like, bitch, you're not broken last week. I did blah, blah, blah. And that's when you would insert a very short, concise story about the time you experienced something similar so that they feel like you do understand on a personal level what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for me, my, um, a lot of my friends come to me for like wisdom because I'm the one who has like the, the older kids or I'm the one who's been like through, uh, much more life than they have. Remember and when you so- tried to be 40 last week, you're like, I'm 40. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you are until mid late, to late thirties. <laughs> I was like, well, my gray hairs and my teenager tell me whatever you have have dark hair, you get grays earlier. (laughs) You know, like I always like, I always like ask my friends, can I share something from my experience only when they're in that phase two. And typically you could tell when they're in that phase two, when their nervous system is a little bit more chill and when they feel a little bit more calmer and they're not so much in that rage mode or in that heavily charged mode and their breathing also starts to be a little bit more embodied and centered. And if you're me, when your volume comes down, because the more mad I am, the louder I am. (laughs) I don't yell, I just speak really loudly when I am angry. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I love love when you rage though. best ever. I will always like tell Chris, I'm like, Oh my God, I love when Kristen's like in this, like just angry bitch mode. This is why she's a great friend because (laughs) she gives me such a range. Like I get fucking a fiery bitchy friend. And then I get the like validation, mother nurturing. And then I also get, then get the coach side (laughs) where it's like, well, you know, you already know this information because you do the same thing, but let me just tell you, just remember to drop into your body. I'm a multifaceted rage machine. hundred percent. It's a gift. I gotta tell you, it's a gift. That's amazing. Um, whereas your, the wisdom of your advanced years has made you <laughs> a gift as well, because that, that piece about asking someone like permission before, again, like asking someone if they have capacity before you even like, before you share something, but then also asking someone permission, if they're open to you sharing, you know, advice or thoughts or experiences, that is something that I I have, it does not come naturally to me to do that. And Mm -hmm. so I really appreciate, um, you are a friend of mine that does that. I have another friend, shout out Eliza Watonis does that. She's (laughs) magical and also very patient and calm. And she'll be like, can I share, which almost to the point that it annoys me. And I'm going to tell you why, because like, 
you guys are people who I love and trust and who knows me really well. And so there are times when I'm you literally just, you like come out like and just go and tell you spiraling and you're like, may I tell you something? I'm like, yes, Liza, the world is ending. Do you have the answer? Please do tell me what that is. You don't need to ask, just tell me. And, but it's hilarious. That's just, that's my fucking personality. But it's like, I really, I do. I appreciate it. I think it is so fucking considerate. And I am, I make notes about it every time that you do it. I'm like, I should start trying harder to do that. (laughs) I'm more like, here's what you need to do. (laughs) I mean, I think it, I think, you know, one of the things that's coming to mind right now is like how we show up in the similar capacity, capacities though, in different relationship containers, because the way that you rage with me when there's something that happens is the way that I rage when I talk to Chris and he's the one who goes, well, would you like, would you like to hear what I'm hearing from this? Like, how do you want me to show up in this moment? Like, Like, do you want some advice? And I'm just like, oh God, I should have called Kristen. You're like (laughs) wrong person to be asking about this. You're like, no, I do not want no, I don't want to give you permission to give me solutions. I just want to be fucking mad. And Kristen would know that. (laughs) And I think that's the other part about like the fishbowl friends and holding space is like being okay with whatever emotions actually come up in that particular session, in that connection, in that moment. Yes. 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 And also even the person that's like raging, because I also think there have been moments where you know, you go through an entire, well, you're, you're trying to close a stress cycle essentially in this container. And if you can go through all those emotions and like, we're using anger here as a, as a, as an example, cause it's oftentimes the one that you go to a fishbowl friend for, you have to go through that anger. And then beneath of it for you is like that sadness for a lot of other people could be an underlying like emotion of frustration or deep disappointment or um, sadness or betrayal even. And so once you get to that, that part is that tender part in that connection where I, I don't know, I feel like that's where the magic happens. That's when it gets really, really vulnerable. And that's when space turns into transformation. And then it allows somebody to feel empowered in that moment because they're feeling emotionally empowered in the situation that is currently arising in themselves. Mm. What emotions are coming up for you right now? Bewilderment. (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually, I was like really focused on what you were saying. And I was like, okay, okay. And then you stopped talking and my mind just kind of like went blank. (laughs) I was like, oh, wait, I need to have something to say back. <laughs> need a response. I mean, I, I was think you're deeply doing, listening. I, I think actually that's the other part. I actually really love that because I think part of also holding space is, is getting comfortable with those pauses and maybe not even being able to say something, but just actually like holding the container for just a deep pause. Yeah. I, I do remember multiple times over the past year, for whatever reason, for many reasons, you would call me with something or I would call you with something. And the thing is just, it's whatever it is, like, it's just so shitty that there's really nothing to say. And I I have many times, I've been like, I will not even say anything about that. I just love you. Yeah. Because there's not like there, there are moments you'll know it when it's there. (laughs) There's literally nothing that you could say. And so just, I love you. Like you obviously call me for a reason. I'm here. We can sit here 
for however long a time we agreed on and not say anything if you need to and just know that I'm here breathing on the other end and loving you that's it Mm, mm, mm -hmm. those are some of the most beautiful friendships and relationships and I know that it took us a long time to get to a place within ourselves to get there to be able to receive friendships like that I know in just growing up I, I don't know why this is coming to mind but this is what's coming to mind is for a very long time as a, as a Filipino American, as a first generation Filipino American, I remember looking at the Filipino cohorts and thinking to myself, like, why, I I don't feel like I can belong with the, with this group of, I mean, fuck my people. Um, And, and for a lot of different reasons, I felt like a, a lot of the, a lot of the women or girls back then just grew up with a lot of judgment. All that shit was passed down as conditioning. I see it so much in older Filipino generations of, of women, like all the aunties and the titas. And even my mom, they would be doing this thing called chismis, which is basically gossiping with each other. And the craziest thing about that is like witnessing that as a girl, as a young girl, and you see the previous generation she's missing with each other and then turning around and talking shit about each other like here they are holding this like container supposedly where it's safe and sacred then all of a sudden they are talking shit about the other mm-hmm. person and I just remember being in my teens like thinking to myself if that's what female friendships are supposed to look like I don't want any of that and so for a long time I think throughout junior no sophomore to just a little bit, maybe after high school, I did not have very many close girlfriends because I thought to myself, I thought that that was what relationships were going to look like as you got older. And so here I was the high school girl just hanging out with the boys because none of my feelings were safe. And so it took me until my, I think like early thirties to really start breaking myself open to the idea of having friendships with other women. Mm. And it was such a um, fumbly experience because it's like, wait, do I share all my emotions? Do I, do I not tell them how I feel? Am I able to call things out if I see things that aren't right? And it was, it was, it took a lot of practicing of being able to not only be the, the one expressing how I felt, but also holding space too, because I learned that in order to be able to hold space for somebody or to have space held for me, I need to actually be the person who can hold fucking space for people. And that has taken some practice. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I, first of all, I feel like I say, I feel like a lot. And so we're going to stop doing that now that we're aware. Secondly, I absolutely experienced being someone, I was an action taker. I was a fixer because my, the way in which I was raised, I felt like no one was going to take care of things unless I took care of things. I didn't feel supported enough. I didn't feel secure. I felt like things were going to slip through the the cracks unless I was there to like plug it in and make it, you know, make everything okay. And so I really took that overactive, like mothering big sister thing kind of to an extreme. And I was that friend who like, if somebody said something mean to you, I would go fucking shred them. I would find them and I would say the meanest shit you have ever heard and make them cry because they made my friend cry. Or I would, you know, I would jack up a dude. I would, you know, like 
play a horrible prank. I would do, you know, whatever to make that person feel better. I would go through great physical, emotional, sometimes financial expense to make people feel taken care of. I would do, honestly, I would do too much. I was very much into rescuing, Mm. rescue and rescue and rescue. And I would set this ridiculously high precedent for how crisis should be managed instead of truly just holding space for them, which would have been enough. I just didn't know that. And none of those people had the capacity or were capable of offering me what I gave them. And so my friendships always felt one-sided and I always felt like I cared more than the other people cared. And like, they didn't know how to be there for me when I needed things. And so I would end up shutting them out and shutting them off because eventually I would get tapped out as much as I loved them. I would get tired of rescuing them. I would get tired of showing up to get them out of scrapes and, you know, keeping them from doing dumb stuff. And like, I was overextending myself. They weren't asking me to, but they definitely got used to it. And so I would do that over and over and over until I had nothing left to give. And then when I needed something, nobody was there. And so I had to recognize that pattern because I was perpetuating the self-fulfilling prophecy that like, nobody's as good a friend as me. And so I could never find anyone to be as good a friend to me as I was to those people. But what I was doing was totally inappropriate and totally, Mm -hmm. totally overkill and not sustainable and not actually healthy or helpful. Like it very much bred codependency, but it was one, it was one-sided. Like, I mean, I got, I think ego got something out of it, like feeling Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm important and I matter to these people. And then they would depend on me because I would constantly put myself in the position where they could And then I would get burned out and then I would have to like blow up the whole thing and like run away and start from scratch because I felt like I was going to like suffocate Mm. under this pile of rocks that I built that I put there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I'm not sure what wound this is from, like, but it sounds like a a father wound. Like, I mean, like that, the action of rescuing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure if that's in a, in a, in a mother wound type of situation. I'm I'm trying to think back about our our conversation with Moshitati. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely a combination. I spent, it's a combination. Yeah. I definitely spent years feeling just neglected, um, emotionally. Like my mother was just not available. She, she could not like, she was physically there a lot of the time, but she was not energetically or emotionally there. And I felt really unsupported and unseen and alone. And like, I was left carrying the brunt. And then my father, who I idolized and loved because he felt like the safer, calmer, more grounded parent in reality was also a wounded adult who didn't know how to handle the situation that was going on at home with his wife and his seven children. And so he also, I mean, out of necessity worked, but he was abs, he was physically absent a lot of the time. And so that, you know, hole that I hoped somebody would come and fill, it was like, there wasn't, it didn't ever feel like anyone was in it when I needed them to be in it. Yeah. 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 Thanks for going there. I wasn't like meaning for you, like in the process of the, I just, (laughs) it's all right. We're always ready to go. (laughs) Got that one. Fire queued up here. Here's our friendship. We just like to process in real time. That's the hard question. I know we were also supposed to cut this off five minutes ago, but then you brought up the father wound thing. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to give a brief synopsis on this. We'll be back to visit. We'll revisit that another time. But there you have it. 
<laughs> any any other notes or thoughts? Do we need, no, do we need to add any I, like disclaimers or? I just think, you know, like if you're going to, you know, try to build this fishbowl friendship with your friends, like call it that because there's so much fun and lightness to it too, where it's just like fishbowl friendship. What the fuck? And when you're getting to a certain point in your life, you're like, that, it just, that makes sense. It just makes sense. Fishbowl friendships. Sure. So that's what we call it. Holding space is being the fishbowl. So now, I mean, we have a couple, we have a couple good ones that we have integrated. Um, I got the cake energy is really important. <laughs> we did shorten that into just letters, but I can't remember them without thinking really hard at this time of day. Um, so I got the cake energy is basically like, do not fuck with me today. Like that's what that means. So we, we interject that. And then, um, do you need a fishbowl is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. How are you feeling? Do you need a fishbowl? <laughs> fishbowl? There's actually I mean, fishbowl emojis. So sometimes it's just a text with a fishbowl. It. It's just like question mark. <laughs> eh? <laughs> I need an ice cream. That's what I need. Ooh, ice cream would yeah. be good. There's a really good gelato shop down the street from here. Mm. When you come to yeah. visit me, we'll go to it. Yeah. Also, I'm like, I'm dreaming of this day. You guys, we, Joe and I have never met in person. No, we're like Mm -hmm. best, best friends, work wives. We've (laughs) co-created things together. We, we have a podcast and we've never touched each other in physical space, which is ridiculous. We're going to, the first time is going to be like this gigantic hug. And then it's going to be each other crying in each other's laps. (laughs) That too. too. I was like, there's definitely going to be I told you it's a, it's a wide range in our friendship. There's a wide range. We have a very wide range. Everything is loud. <laughs> Everything is loud. I'm also just really excited about our height differences because, <laughs> because energetically and emotionally we are the same size, but like physically we're very different sized. We're yeah. Gonna, we're going to look like my head's going to be right into your tits. We are going to look like my and Jeff. Like I am five, nine <laughs> and I'm five, one. <laughs> That's great. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be a great little nook right underneath of your neck. And just like snuggle on in there. Keep you warm. Keep you warm. Warm at night. Okay. Mm. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Thank you folks so much for listening. If this conversation tickled your fancy, opened your mind, or gave you permission to simply express yourself a little bit more authentically, share with a friend, rate us on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.